Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor. I'm speaking to you from the borough of Queens in New York City. It is the fifth day of April in 2022. I do like to remind you that Chen Lin publishes a newsletter called What is Chen Buying? What is Chen Selling? And you can subscribe to Chen's letter by going to chenpicks.com. Chen has done an excellent job of of picking stocks, and especially in the biotech sector, some very interesting things that he's he's talking about. And um, some of those things I'm following as well in my own newsletter, which you can subscribe to by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com. Uh, or you can call out during the normal work hours here in New York City at 718-457-1426 to sign up for the letter. We also like to uh, call to your attention Michael Oliver's excellent work, uh, Michael Oliver's Momentum Structural Analysis. You can subscribe to that by going to olivermsa.com. Michael did have some things to say this weekend about uh, the gold markets and um, certainly gold shares, although not doing that well today, have broken out above uh, the equity markets, um, in, if you look at a trend line, uh, gold shares have broken out and are outperforming the broad equity market as gold shares are also outperforming gold. And, of course, gold and silver both having a kind of a rough day along with the equity markets in general today. Uh, I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows in the Voice America Business Channel. also like to uh, encourage you to send along whatever comments you have about this show to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. Questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. We do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. This week's sponsors, Irving Resources, Noble Resources, Eloro Resources, Hannon Metals, Firefox Gold, Timberline Resources, Lion One Metals, and SK Mining. Before I talk about today's show, let me just comment on what I think may have been one of the most important developments that has come out of the Russian-Ukraine war, and that is the announcement by Russia last week that countries opposing it in that war will be forced to pay for the gas they import from Russia in Russian rubles. That announcement, along with many other factors, was sufficient to cause Alistair MacLeod to title his weekly commentary that came out last Thursday. He titled it, Edging Towards a Gold Standard. Here is how Alistair summarized his March 31st commentary. And I quote, commentators are trying to make sense of of the Russian moves. However, there is a backstory which differs from much of the speculation, which is this article's address. The Russians have not put the ruble on some sort of gold standard. Instead, they have repeated what Nixon and Kissinger did, which created the petrodollar in 1973 by getting the Saudis to agree to accept oil except only dollars for oil. This time, nations deemed by Russia to be unfriendly will be forced to buy rubles, roughly $2 trillion by the European Union alone, based on last year's natural gas and oil imports from Russia, driving up the exchange rate of the rubles. The ruble has now doubled against the dollar from its low point of 150 to 75 yesterday, in just, that's over in just over three weeks. The Russian central bank will soon be able to normalize the domestic economy by reducing interest rates and removing exchange controls as a result of this, Alistair suggests. He goes on to say the Russians and Chinese will, accurately, will be accurately aware 
uh, will be acutely aware that Western currencies, particularly the yen and euro, are likely to be undermined by recent developments. The financial war, which has always been in the background, is emerging into plain sight and becoming a battlefield between fiat currencies, and it is full on. The winner, by default, is almost certainly gold, now the only reliable reserve asset for those not aligned with Russia's unfriendlies. But it is still a long ways from backing any currency. End of quote. As usual, Alistair is analyzing these events in a seasoned and a very reasoned, I should say, non-emotional manner. As his he notes, Russia is not demanding payment in gold, though that could may very well be the result in some cases. Rather, it is simply doing what President Nixon did to underpin the dollar after Nixon unilaterally defeated or defaulted, I should say, on the dollar by removing gold linkage to the dollar and as a result to the global monetary system. To give the dollar value, Nixon used military force to dictate to the rest of the world that they must pay for their energy in dollars, just as Putin is now demanding that unfriendly countries pay for their gas that they buy from Russia in Russian rubles. I'm looking forward to hearing uh, from Alistair. He will be my main guest next week, and uh, this, no doubt, will be the main topic of our conversation because I think, as I said, I think it's very, very significant in terms of all that's going on that's related to the war and uh, the underlying issues of uh, money and control of global assets uh, most certainly is what's, at, uh, is what's at stake here. I've titled today's show, Making Money with Crestcat Capital. Kevin Smith, Tavi Costa, and Patrick Highsmith are this week's guests. Crestcat Capital became known to me when one of the top exploration geologists in the world and a regular guest on this show, Dr. Quentin Henning, joined the company as its technical advisor. Quentin's job is to assist Crestcat in selecting small cap exploration companies that are in the process of discovering world-class mineral deposits. Even before Quinton joined them, Crestcat had won a large number of awards as a top hedge fund firm over the past couple of decades. While most firms were suffering large losses over a five-year period ending in 2010, Crestcat averaged 27.2% annual gains, which included the worst stock market that, that was during the worst stock market since 1929. The same independent thought process that led to that success has now enabled Crestcat to focus heavily on commodities and precious metals as they recognize the biggest gains at this time can be made by investing in small cap companies that are able to discover world-class gold and silver deposits. Hence, the addition of Dr. Henning as a vital member to the team of Crestcat in identifying companies that have what it takes for exploration success Sponsors of this show, like LO Resources, SK Mining, and Lion One Metals, are their sponsors that I believe have the potential uh, to become multi-billion-dollar enterprises. And certainly, Crestcat Capital, uh, which is invested in all three of those companies, uh, no doubt sees that as well. Well, Tavi and Kevin will discuss their views of where the markets are heading in this very uncertain world and what sectors they are shorting, and what sectors they are taking long positions in, and the reasons behind those decisions. They'll be with me in the second half of today's show. We do have to go to commercial break now, uh, but don't go away because uh, Patrick Highsmith will explain the exciting investment thesis behind Firefox Gold, which is also an investment held by Crestcat Capital uh, and uh, is also a sponsor of this show, too. 
Uh, although today's gold and silver prices are heading lower, prompted by stock and bond margin calls, if history is any guide, the last asset standing, the last assets of value anyway, remaining from the rubbish pile will be gold and silver. That, along with a civilized population, can enable a rebuilding of a prosperous and peaceful society. Well, we are going to go to break now, but uh, don't go away because when we come back, Patrick Highsmith of Firefox Gold will be with me. Don't go away. One Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQX is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, Funding in place and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm happy to have Patrick Highsmith with me once again. This time, Patrick is here to give us an update on Firefox Gold. It's a company that is a, a, a sponsor of the show. Really happy to have them because I think they have great prospects in their Lapland Greenstone Belt in Finland, which is really underexplored compared to many of the other Greenstone Belts gold-bearing greenstone belts around the world. Firefox Gold trades uh, in Canada under the symbol FFOX. You can buy it down here in the States under FFOXF, as I have. 109 million shares outstanding, 16, 16 or 17 cents U.S. money right now. So it is a very low market cap company. And those are the kinds I like to look at, especially if they have good management teams with exploration success under their belt and uh, companies that are that are able to, to turn exploration into wealth. And I think Firefox has very good chance of that. So minuscule market caps can really be big winners for people. And that's why I'm really happy to welcome Patrick. Thanks for joining me again, Patrick. Thank you, Jay. It's great to be here again. It is really good to have you. And I want to ask you, you know, you guys recently announced, I think it was January 25th, some very nice drill results 
from your Muster Yarvi project, uh, and I want you to talk about that. I'm sure you'll be happy to do so. But maybe just for the sake of new people that might be new to this story, give a big-picture overview of what you're doing in Finland. Absolutely, Jay. Firefox is, an, is a Greenfields Explorer, and, and as you said, these are these are the companies that, sure, the market caps are, are low as the company's pregnant with opportunity, but not a lot of results yet. But what's key about Firefox is we are exclusively focused in the central Lapland greenstone belt of northern Finland, including having a Finnish CEO based in country, mm-hmm. much of our geological team based in country. So we operate in their native language. They all speak about three languages, so it's not too hard for them, but nevertheless, working in their home country. And uh, as you know, that greenstone belt, Jay, is is rapidly uh, it's rapidly becoming clear that it is the tightest held uh, significant gold bearing greenstone belt in the world. Meaning there aren't two dozen players. Mm-hmm. There are four junior companies and two majors that really control this belt. Jay and Firefox has a huge tenement package there. On any given day, we're, we're the maybe the first or second largest tenement holder with 650 square kilometers of ground there in that belt. Jay. It's crisscrossed by incredible infrastructure with paved highways, uh, multiple airports north of the Arctic Circle. Uh, it's a great place to work. We've been drilling all winter. We'll drill into May, and access is amazing. We don't need helicopters. And, of course, we've got great emerging discoveries. We've, we've, we have Agnico Eagle operating the huge Kittala mine. Uh, in the belt, and then Rupert Resources, our neighbor, of course, has delineated a, a four million ounce plus uh, discovery at Ickery. Um, we'll be talking about one of our projects later that's immediately north of of Ickery. So now we know there are more than one multi million ounce deposits in the Central Lapland Greenstone Belt, and we think that's just the start. Well, and and you're going to be, I think, you are drilling on four different projects uh, this year, right now, and. Um, you started out with some pretty good results uh, from Mustayarvi. Um, could you talk about that and then perhaps the other three projects that you're drilling? Absolutely. We have we, we like to do what we say we're going to do, Jay, to the to the best of our ability. And, and we said back in the in the summer that we would drill all four of our drill ready, fully permitted projects or or targets during this program. And we've already done so, and we're just. Uh, well, just today we put out some additional news that gets us about halfway through our our nine or ten kilometer drill program that we're in the midst of now, and uh, the the results you refer to, of course, are from our Mustiarvi property, which we really, uh, you know, about a year ago was was a fateful time for Firefox. We had we had launched a fire uh, financing in in April, and uh, in the first hole we found visible gold, mm-hmm. and uh, we announced that, and the assays came later, and. So what's happened at Mustiarvi? It's a big shear zone, uh, a linear shear zone, Jay, that we control about three kilometers of. And we've now, for over two kilometers, drilled significant gold in, in multiple occurrences along that zone. And they include two holes uh, announced last year that were over uh, what, around 150 gram meters of mm-hmm. gray thickness. Mm-hmm. So that's where you take meters of gold times grams per ton of gold. It gives you an idea of... It might be narrow, but it's high grade, so that's a high grade thickness. Or, of course, it could be thicker and low grade and still be a, a high grade thickness. But that's a good indicator of a of a system sort of robustness. So at Mustiarvi, we've continued to drill, and the results that were most interesting in our last results were 
we've uh, we've now defined that high grade zone with a number of holes we've actually added to that a little bit today to give us a geometry of that high grade pod that we're most excited about where that 150 gram meter mineralization came from mm-hmm. but we also went further out another 700 meters away to an area called the east target uh quite a ways away from the known high grade and we hit another zone of significant gold uh you know even uh, as shallow as as 50 meters below surface and we've also gone into that zone again a little bit more with the results today so multiple pods of mineralization at Mustiarvi we always see good grade here Jay it, it might be narrow and and quite high grade or or maybe it's a little thicker but still grades above 5 or 6 grams per ton are quite the uh, quite the norm sometimes 100 grams per ton at Mustiarvi. So, uh, mm-hmm. so that's the first project, and, and uh, that's the headline of today's news release is we've announced uh, three more holes from Mustiarvi, mm-hmm. which continue to consistently hit gold. Um, and uh, I guess I'll just hit those headlines really quick. Um, okay, sure. What we did around the high-grade zone, you know, our, our mutual friend, Dr. Quentin Henney, and I talked about these systems, and one of the pieces of advice he had for us was, you know, stay close, figure out the geometry of that mm-hmm. high-grade zone. Because if you go too far away, you get sort of greedy. Mm-hmm. You might lose it. And so we did. We stepped out 10 and 20 meters to either side of this section where we've hit the high-grade. We did hit the zone again. Uh, you know, not spectacular in the sense that uh, the grade, the average grades on these intercepts are eight to nine grams per ton, but still very nice given we're only 140 meters uh, below surface. So uh, we announced a couple of intercepts today, uh, 1.9 meters of 8.96 grams per ton, mm-hmm. uh, which included a meter of 14.5 grams per ton. And then uh, in the other hole, again, at the same elevation, right where we kind of expected it, uh, on the other side of this high-grade pod, uh, I think the best intercept in that hole was, uh, what is it, about 0.6 meters of 6 grams per ton. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when we put those together, Jay, the real news is we can measure that high-grade zone now. Mm-hmm. We know that it strikes to the northeast and it dips, it plunges off to the northeast as well at about sort of a 30-degree dip. So you could imagine that gives us a, an idea of where to drill it next. Mm-hmm, right. So, and then the next headline of this news release is where we're going next at, at Mustiarvi because we went out to the east target, which is 700 meters away, and uh, we actually are testing a brand new drill rig out there, Jay, and that rig is mostly for base of till sampling, so it's uh-huh. not usually used as a core rig, uh-huh. but it's a hybrid rig, and it allows us to drill shallow core holes just to test the bedrock a little bit, uh-huh. and we took that. In the east target, and the hole is only 20 meters deep, but what's spectacular is where we tested this thing, we hit a 4.4 meter zone at average 6.35 grams per ton, oh. and it's only 13 meters below surface. Wow. It, it, it had an interval in there, 0.8 meters of 25.9 grams, Jay. So, <laughs> so now we know our east target comes even closer to the surface. This is the fourth hole that's hit some gold over there, and it's wide open, and so... Uh, Mustiarvi will see some more drilling, one more round uh, before we wrap up in, in May. Uh, we will return to Mustiarvi and we'll put another couple of holes in that east target, which is wide open. Uh, and we'll also test some new targets uh, a couple of kilometers away back to the southwest. Mm. So Mustiarvi is a name people have heard. They're even learning how to pronounce the Finnish uh, because we've been drilling some high grade there, Jay. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the main headline in today's news release. Uh, um, so it looks like you mentioned. Look- 
looks like you got the real scale there then for something potentially something significant. Yeah, it's a it's a good point and a good observation because we in the community debate, you know, mm-hmm. is narrow high grade how valuable is narrow high grade? Mm-hmm. I mean, we'd all like to have a hundred meters of eight grams as yes. the Rupert guys drilled a couple of months ago. Um, but that's in a known discovery where they already knew there's four million ounces of gold. So mm-hmm. you know, fantastic ripping intercepts like that. However, this kind of grade, only 150 meters below surface, mm-hmm. has potential. And we've got three kilometers of this structure, and by no means is it all tested. Only about 9,000 meters of drilling in total on this project, Jay. So, mm-hmm. so while we've got an emerging discovery, we think the potential is there, particularly with the grade. All right. Well, you've got three more projects that you're drilling now. If you could quickly sort of describe those and, and what we might be looking forward to uh, with those other three. Yeah. Two, two quick updates from today's news release. We went to our huge YESIO project, uh, which adjoins our friends at Orion Resources, more to the southeast of the belt. Uh, and uh, we drilled some base of till anomalies there, some geophysical anomalies there. And, uh, and, and frankly, geologically, we're, we're pretty happy with some of those results, but we did not, in this early stage drilling, hit a significant goal. The two targets are Utsamo, which is on the YESIO project. There we drilled some base of till anomalies, saw some pyrite, saw some alteration, a little bit of anomalous gold and, and mm-hmm. geochemistry, but nothing significant yet, very early mm-hmm. days. That's a huge area. And then south of there, an area called Saitavara where we drilled some decent gold last year, uh, a couple meters of, of over three grams. We tested the continuation of that structure, and, and we didn't find it in that direction. So so uh, we got other targets to test on both of those areas that will come, and they're big projects. Mm-hmm. But but I think I think the most exciting one, Jay, is, and that people are watching again, is called Sarvi. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like it because it's easy to pronounce, um, and it's uh, immediately <laughs> north, as I said. It's uh, immediately north of Rupert and B2's discovery. Uh, and uh, they, they, we have about eight kilometers of the of the trend there, and we've gone into Sarvi, and uh, we've just completed. I think we're up to about uh, five or six holes there now uh, at uh, Sarvi, and what we're drilling is actually we're up to a grand total of nine holes now uh-huh. at Sarvi. I just checking a map there, uh-huh. and uh, what we've done is we've done base of till sampling over a large area because this is mostly a swamp, Jay. Uh-huh. So we're relying on geophysics to look for patterns coming through that are similar, maybe coming up from the Rupert property to the south, and and also this east-west trend. And we've done this large area. Uh, now we've crossed over 2,000 base of till samples on this project. I think Rupert J has collected over 16,000 base of till samples. So wow. this is an intensely used exploration technique that we use there in Finland. And from the base of till, you get basically a sample at the top of that bedrock, analyze it for gold and multi-elements. And we're following up on, on anomalies in gold and bismuth and tellurium and geophysical anomalies that we see in the data at Sarvi. So those holes are, that's nine holes that we've completed. Many of them are fairly shallow. A couple would be in the 250 to 300 meter range uh, of depth. And uh, these are at various stages of preparation and off to the lab. And so that's our news flow, Jay, as we go Mm. into spring and into early summer will be the results from the much-awaited drilling at Sarvi. So uh, investors certainly have something to look forward to in the short term, even before you start getting drill results from the current uh, 
fangirling that's going on. I guess you a lot to look forward to then, Patrick. Anything else you'd like to sort of sum up with? Well, I think mainly just, you know, stay tuned. The area around Rupert's Discovery is really hot and heavy, and, yeah. and Firefox is one of the largest players there. In this huge portfolio, we do have some uh, projects that are, are, are a little bit less our focus, and we may be able to get a, a joint venture done with a, mm-hmm. with a larger partner there on one of those. But stay tuned because uh, we'll be drilling right through May with good news flow into the summer, and then we just roll right into the summer field season to get ready for drills to return in September or October. So finally, we're out of the sort of winter doldrums, and we've got enough samples in the lab that news flow will pick up, and we look forward to uh, the rest of our drill results and a busy summer. Well, absolutely, and a very low-cap company has lots of room on the upside, no doubt about it, with successful drill results, which um, I'm fairly confident we're going to see some, at least uh, going forward. Patrick, thank you so much for being with us again, and um, we'll look to keep up with this story going forward into the future. Thank you, Jay. We'll be here to update you. I look forward to it. All right, folks, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away. Tavi Costa and Kevin Smith from the very successful Crestcat Capital Firm will be with us to share their market views uh, going forward. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Tavi and Kevin. Timberline Resources is a mineral exploration and resource development company focused on gold discovery in the world-class mining jurisdiction of Nevada. The company's flagship Eureka project hosts a significant gold resource and drill-indicated upside potential at nearby higher-grade targets. Timberline Resources trades in Canada under the symbol TBR and on the OTCQB in the U.S. under the symbol TLRS. To learn more about this district-scale asset with exciting discovery potential, please visit www.timberlineresources.co. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm pleased to have the Brain Trust behind Crestcat Capital with me today for a second time. I've learned about Crestcat Capital as a result of Quentin Henning joining the firm last year, where he assists the company in selecting gold and silver exploration investments. Of course, I have the highest regard for Dr. Henning. He has much more than any other exploration geologist I have met over the past 40 years in this business. The ability to discover major gold and silver deposits that have been passed over by generations of geologists before him. Crestcat is very fortunate to have Quentin on his team. That said, having become a weekly viewer of the Crestcat Gets Active YouTube series, I have really come to appreciate the financial genius of both of my guests today, Tavi Costa and Kevin Smith. Their expertise really explains why Crestcat has had such a remarkable track record over a number of years. And if, if you want a very good review of where the financial markets are each and every week, and also to keep track of some of the emerging world-class gold and silver discoveries discussed on this show, 
I would suggest companies like SK Mining and Laurel Resources and Lion One Metals. They're uh, sponsors of this show. They're also companies that I've invested in and are in my newsletter. Those, to just name three, there's a host of others that I think have great upside potential. Uh, but to learn a, about these markets, why they're doing what they're doing, uh, I think you should really tune in every week uh, to Crestcat gets active. It's about 2 o'clock, I think, New York time when the show, you can watch it live as I do many times, but if you can't, uh, it's available to you afterwards. But uh, both Kevin and Tavi are just doing a remarkable job uh, managing the, the, the company's um, funds, and we'll get to their performance in, in just a few minutes from now. But I'm really happy to have them with me once again. Thanks, both of you, for joining me. Our pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, thank you, yeah. Jay. Uh, so I'd like to start out by asking both of you, what is your current assessment of today's global economy and financial markets? And I'm guessing you both are pretty much on the same page on this, but maybe we start out with Tavi, and then, Kevin, you can pick up where Tavi leaves off. Yeah, no problem. Um, look, I think we are in a in- – we don't know yet if this this is going to be a, a major downturn or a deceleration of growth, but mm-hmm. certainly there's a list of recession indicators is starting to pile up here. One of them that I think is very important is what's happening with the yield curve. I mean, mm-hmm. we're seeing yield curving versions um, all over the, the treasury curve. About 30% of the yield curve is inverted today. So we calculate a more comprehensive way of seeing the, the all possible combinations of spreads in the treasury curve. And we calculate that close to 30% of that is inverted. When we get to 70 to 75 percent, it's almost immediately follows a recession. So uh, we're, we're getting there. Uh, not there just yet. The initial jobless claims, lowest levels in 60 years. So, you know, we're seeing job markets being very tight, meaning it's very strong, which is also a contrarian indicator. But the, the one thing that is quite concerning, I think, for us has been what's happening with ISM uh, manufacturing starting to roll over and leads mm-hmm. operating margins by about six months. So we have energy costs rising, wages and salaries and material costs after this kind of once in a lifetime boost in fundamentals financed by the government. So we're worried mm-hmm. that we're going to see squeeze in margins uh, and, and that may create problems as the Federal Reserve is tightening. So uh, that's basically our assessment of the U.S. economy for now. Kevin, if you want to add something. Yeah, sure. I just add that, um, you know, on, on, on top of this, there's a well, first of all, there's a lot of opportunities on, on the short side of the, of the mm-hmm. equity markets because of this. Uh, as part of our overriding great rotation theme, we, we want to be short overvalued companies that are going to uh Going to either be come under pressure from rising costs of capital and uh, rising inflation uh, pressures, uh, or or um, or this this general rotation out of the large cap and out of the technology sector and into the more undervalued commodity segments of of the market, where there's a lot more uh, intermediate term growth opportunities and, and much lower valuations. Yeah, um, getting to this yield curve. Issue, uh, Tavi, you've come up with with one the U.S. percentage of yield curve inversions. I guess that's what you were talking about. Uh, you said 75% is kind of a a key level that indicates that we're heading towards a recession. I, I guess what this means is uh, that would be 75% of the yield curve is inver- inverted. Is that what that 75% is? Oh, uh, yes. So so that is correct. The 70%. Is, is, is the calculation of all possible spreads. There's about 45 spreads in the yield curve and you calculate how many of those are inverted today. So every time in history going back to the seventies that we hit the 75% handle, 
Uh, we certainly had a recession follow or sometimes even coincided with the recession. But it, it is important to point out, Jay, that we do not think this is 08 or 2000. I mean, it, we think this is quite different in a sense of we're not seeing the long end of the curve decline. We're seeing every yield in the Treasury curve rise today. And, and that is very similar to what we saw back in 1973-74 when we had a sort of an inflationary recession. Uh, and, and we think we're kind of headed towards something along those lines of what we saw back in 73-74. And I believe this was uh, this yield curve chart that you showed in in your last Crestcat Gets Active, number 71, uh, is your own. You've come up with this on your own, I think, Tavi. Is that right? That's right. I, I thought I thought yield curves are always interesting ways to uh, to sort of uh, predict um, and have a sense of, of, of the business cycle in general. And so Kevin and I were discussing, you know, is there a more comprehensive way? Because there's so many different forms of calculating yeah. spreads. You can look mm-hmm. at the three month versus 10 year, which is showing a completely different signal than the two year versus a 10 year. Yeah. And, and so you can. You know, you can you can extrapolate those views according to just those uh, those spreads. And I, I think they all send different messages at, at some point. And so we decided to create something that, as I said, much more comprehensive that really encompasses all all yield curve, all yield spreads. Um, and you can do that across the globe, by the way. You can do that in yeah. Canada, Germany, and all those are starting to rise in, in that sense. Um, I think, you know, personally, every time usually we reach the 30 percent or so, uh, usually it tends to reach the, the 60 to 70 percent very quickly. And we have a lot of spreads that are very close to, to inverting. So we could see that in, you know, in two weeks. Yeah, yeah. At the very short end of the yield curve, I guess there's still a lot lower, but uh, it could happen very quickly. Then if we get to that 75 percent, is there a lag time that you would expect That's before you start? Bit. Yeah. Yeah, that's the beauty of it. There's not really a, a lag. I mean, it's 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 very cl- it's very uh, close to the the downturn in the economy and usually linked to to the decline in equity markets. In fact, we empirically look at this calculation to see what assets perform very well. And guess what? Gold is one of the things that performs very well. Um, and we had, a, I think, the only time that gold did not perform well was in 1989 uh, during the SNL crisis when gold mm-hmm. actually declined. Uh, during that time, but we did see a recession regardless. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think that statistically, given the fact of where we are in terms of the, the pillars of inflation and the problems in terms the monetary issues we have globally, I would be very surprised if gold doesn't perform as well as it did back in 73, 74, or even 2000, uh, after those inversions reached about 70, 75%. Yeah. Well, you would think uh, that if we start to, you know, if we head into a real deep recession of some kind, that that might not be bullish for gold. A lot of people sort of are of that mind anyway. I'm not necessarily. But I guess then what it would be is the massive stimulus that would come after that, the devaluation of the dollar, essentially the massive money printing that would drive the uh, the gold price up. Uh, well, in that respect, I I would comment that, um, you know, like Tavi was suggesting, that we think this, this period is going to be a lot like the stagflationary 1970s, uh-huh. especially that 73, 74 bear market where you actually had um, a period where the the Fed was raising interest rates, where where ten year yields were going up, and um, and inflation uh, at the same time w- was going up, even with all of the Fed tightening, even with interest rates going up, and so I mean yes, we do think eventually, especially now with the record global debt to GDP, 
and in the U.S. as well, that the Fed is going to have to uh, cry uncle and give up on its tightening plans. But for but for now, um, you know, they need to maintain their credibility. They need to raise interest rates. And even in that rising interest rate environment, we think um, we think inflation is going to prove to be uh, a much bigger, a, a continuing problem. It's not the raising interest rates is not going to be enough to stop inflation, especially given that that most of the inflation today is caused by structural supply shortages in the resource sector, that, that these are long term imbalances that are not going to be rectified by the Fed raising interest rates. Raising interest rates can squelch demand. But it, it can't it cannot increase supplies of, of commodities. Well, I remember the seventies, the seventy three, seventy four period very uh, very clearly. Yet I was a young man during those days. But the Fed was clearly behind the curve then, as it seems to be now. You have um, you know negative rate real rates. I mean, isn't that the key? Negative real rates. And when Paul Volcker came along and and um, you know hit hit the brakes, and all of a sudden, I my first mortgage was a seventy and a half percent mortgage. That certainly sent gold downward, but we're not looking at any kind of positive yields. I don't think, are we? I mean, is that even a is that even a possibility anytime? And what happens I, if we I start? I totally don't think so. In, in, yeah. Back in in 1980, when Paul Vol- Volcker got short term rates up close to 20 percent, and that's what yeah. it took to really finally uh, squelch inflation. And even then, people didn't didn't. Uh, uh, didn't believe it was going to work, but it, but that's when the price of gold topped out after an entire decade almost of, of raising interest rates. Mm-hmm. And, and, um, we're a long, we're a long ways from, from that today. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, what about silver and uh, silver is a, a monetary metal, obviously. Uh, I, I look at it not as thoroughly as gold, as, as thoroughly a, mod- a monetary metal as gold. But nonetheless, it is a monetary metal. And then what about the other commodities in an environment like this? Might we see oil prices really get slammed hard, or do you think they'll continue on, uh, you know, very strong? All the commodity again, Kevin, I think you mentioned uh, supply shortages that, you know, supply chain issues that are really exacerbated by this, uh, by this war in Ukraine, big time. But uh, what about some of the other commodities in this environment if we head into this massive uh, or, or say a, a recession that could be i in my view could be quite deep um i, I, I think yeah. it's across the board across a number of, of different resource uh commodity segments of, of the economy that are, that are going to be affected due to years of, of underinvestment in capex uh in in the base metals and precious metals industries it's been almost a decade of underinvestment uh, especially by the majors in in uh, in exploration and building new mines and on the energy side and oil and gas, there's this whole uh, this whole you know new uh, you know the the, the carbon uh, reduction you know yeah. uh, goals and the new the new energy economy that we're trying to transition to, but mm-hmm. but uh, you, uh, it's it's really hard to transition to to uh, a new uh, green economy when um, when, when you know, people need food. People need energy. They've got to heat their homes, and the renewable energies are just not up to scale yet in being able to 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 satisfy that demand. The the energy return on energy invested is still very very poor among many of the renewable technologies. That we you need oil and gas to produce mm-hmm. solar panels and and infrastructure just just for the renewable. Uh, whether it's wind turbines or solar panels, I mean, I mean, in order to to make this transition, 
we still need oil and gas and it's and it's been under invested in Tavi, do you have any comments on the commodities at large well mm-hmm. look i just think that there's a, a simplistic way of, of of watching this industries which is just looking at the capex cycle and it, this might be the first time in history we're seeing oil prices you know call it it's just so volatile but call it around a hundred dollars a barrel mm-hmm. wti prices and companies are just not being able to increase their their capital spending at all and in fact if you calculate just the guidance for capex in 20, for 2022, and you adjust that for the, where GDP is relative to other times in history, we might be at the lowest levels in 30 years. And so, mm-hmm. you know, if we had what we saw back in the 2008 times when oil prices declined along with the global financial crisis, where companies were actually spending record levels of or of, of capex in aggregate. Um, you know, this is not the case today. It's quite the opposite. So I think it will take some time for that to uh, to really infiltrate the system. So I, I think oil is headed much higher. Oil, net gas, any other commodity, natural resources in general uh, look extremely cheap. That rotation uh, should just continue, in our opinion. Yeah, but especially, uh, you know, Germany taking getting rid of its uh uh, get, getting rid of its nuclear power, um, and you would think that uranium might have some potential. Do either do you, either of you have a, an opinion on uranium? I think I think uh, I'll just point it out quickly that I think for us our niche has really been looking for commodities that really offer that supply imbalance first and foremost. Mm-hmm. Um, and talking to Quentin and, and doing our own research, certainly seems like we have enough uranium in the world. It's just more mm-hmm. of a political shift. Uh, mm-hmm. that, may, that may actually benefit the industry. We think the industry will benefit from what's happening. Uh, we've been time to time investors in some Iranian companies, but uh, it's not our sole focus. I mean, certainly our focus has been more in the metals uh, with Quentin, and I think it's m- most of our expertise there. But, you know, sure. energy is, is very interesting. Agricultural commodities, we've been buying agricultural commodities mm-hmm. for some time now. Um, and, and so those are all ways of, of playing this natural resources bull market. Yeah, indeed. Um, well, I have to ask you, both of you, about uh, the recent developments last week with uh, the Russians requiring or saying that unfriendly countries are going to have to uh, pay for their natural gas in rubles. And there's, you know, some some considerable commentary about it on the Internet. And um, I just wondered if, you've, if either of you had any thoughts about that development, because it seems to me that what Vladimir Putin is doing is pretty much what the United States did when we went off the gold standard 1971 thereafter shortly thereafter when Kissinger uh, was sent over to Saudi Arabia to make make it mandatory for the world to pay for oil in dollars a- any thoughts on that development from either of you I don't Yeah Kevin you want to say something um, uh, well sure so um, I know you had some thoughts about the ruble tavi too but, but I'll let you say that but first let me just say that um, you know what one thing we're excited about is is the uh, at least with uh, you know is is really the U.S. the opportunity here in the U.S. for the natural gas industry and the LNG uh-huh. export industry to be able to help fill that gap uh, in uh, in helping Europe meet its its demand for natural gas because they they did become so reliant on on Russia and mm-hmm. and they um you know and they have a problem now but um but that's an opportunity uh, the U.S. is now going to be the largest uh, LNG export country on the planet and uh there's a number of, of terminals under development i think the biden administration is becoming more open you just saw a deal announced between the eu and the u.s on on that front with respect to lng 
And I think it's, it's going to open up more, <clears throat> more exploration, more opportunities for the, the E&P companies and the, the, the oil and gas exploration companies, as well as the, 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 um, the, the midstream, the pipelines and, and the, and the LNG export terminals. So we're invested in, in a number of, of those, um, countries. But I, I think, you know, Tavi, you said you had some ideas earlier you were talking about with the ruble and, and gold, et cetera. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, I, I just I just think that it all ties back to our views on the treasury market. I think what we saw as far as the Ukraine uh, and Russia problems, uh, we've seen sort of a tectonic shift happen in the geopolitical landscape. And in our opinion, this this it, it really uh, changes how we the dynamic of of, of demand for treasuries um, and. You know, one of the most liquid assets in the world now uh, was was basically put into sanctions, and uh, and and Russia wasn't able to use those reserves. So, what does it uh-huh. mean for countries now uh, when it comes to uh, really financing the U.S. debt going forward? Well, we you can break down the U.S. debt demand uh, very easily. It's it's really the Federal Reserve has been buying most of it. U.S. Yeah. banks and financial institutions domestically and and foreign institutions in general, because households are not participating as they used to back in the 40s, for instance, when we had war bonds and so forth. So it really questions the you know, who is going to be uh, really uh, picking up the slack here and buying those treasuries at a time when we're seeing record amounts of net issuances of treasuries of close to $844 billion issued in the last three months. So we are we're short treasuries. We think we think that's the next market development to uh, to unfold. And I think it's going to have a lot of unintended consequences from the the technology sector. How do you justify something with cost of capital rising and uh-huh. even perhaps forcing the Federal Reserve to do some sort of yield curve control, which would be incredibly bullish for something like gold. So yeah. I, th- I think we're going to see that in, in the near future. Mm-hmm. It certainly makes sense. Um, I just I, to me, it's mind boggling to think about these inflationary uh, pressures uh, because of supply shortages and the fed uh you know having this rising inflation problem and not being able to put on the brakes not really being able i mean it's got to fund itself where is the money going to come from i think it's the printing press and uh it's it's very frightening but i'd like to before we run out of time here get into uh, some of the performances of of uh, some of the funds and their performances uh, remarkable as they are during the first quarter of this year having just closed the first three months of 2022 um, the global market, the, the global um, hedge fund, the global market hedge fund, macro, I guess. Yeah. yeah, the macro hedge fund. Um, up 27.1% over the first three months. That compares with the benchmark of uh, the HFRX global hedge fund index. Uh, that was a negative 1.2%. So obviously you're doing something something right there, that's for sure. Uh, can you maybe, Kevin, just talk about how did you – how did you perform so well? Um, well, we've been fortunate um, this this year as part of this overriding great rotation theme and out of long duration overvalued growth stocks and 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 into and, and fixed income securities and into undervalued commodities and, and commodity equ- oriented equities. We you know we've gotten a number of of our sub themes right and uh, both on the short side of the equity markets and the long side, we've also been been short um, uh, German bonds and and, and and treasury bonds, uh, which have have worked to our advantage um, through put options. Uh, we've had a a, um, a short position in, in the Japanese yen. We we had been uh, actually short JGBs too as part of as part of that 
um, debt to GDP resolution, uh, where uh, we think that in- inflation is the unwritten, um, you know, game plan for for central banks in order to devalue the debt. Uh, at the same time, to maintain their credibility, they do have to raise the interest rates, and so we. You know, even in, in Germany and Japan, where interest rates were below zero, we, we saw an opportunity uh, to get short and, and it worked for us in the, in the first quarter. But when the when the Bank of Japan said that they were going to have to uh, exercise yield curve control, basically, mm-hmm. we uh, we pivoted quickly to being short the yen instead of being short JGBs. So um, and that, you know, that's a that's a you know, the one. The one theme in our global macro fund that really didn't work work in the first quarter that we still think is is poised to work is is our short uh, Chinese yuan trade and, and Hong Kong dollar potential depegging. Uh, the biggest credit imbalance in the world today we think is is in China. They've created over 50 trillion dollars of debt in their banking system and have a massive non-performing loan problem that we think is finally coming to the fore here with their real estate. Uh, clamp down and and uh, and the stock market crash that they've had. So while well, the Fed is is raising rates, uh, um, and um, you know China is going to be forced to ease. So that that's an exciting opportunity we still have ahead. But we we think it's still early for a lot of our themes. And um, but that's just a sampling of the the things that ha- that have worked for us in in the first quarter. A number of commodity related longs and a number of of other short positions that we've had. Mm-hmm. Well, I guess uh, much of what you just said would also apply then to the long short hedge fund, which was up 18.5% versus the benchmark of minus one-tenth of 1%. Uh, anything uh, to add with regard to the long short hedge fund that you didn't cover? Well, the long short uh, fund, that's really an equity long short fund for us. So okay. That's where yeah. global macro is where you get all the fixed income and currency trades in addition to the equity uh, long short trades. But the long short, that's just more focused on the long short Equity themes, uh, um, of which uh, you know we t- we talked about um, with both the, the software and the and the mega cap growth stocks that were short, and as well as as the um, uh, um, you know the commodity related equity longs. Your hmm. precious metals hedge fund, which was up only three point six percent compared to the benchmark Philadelphia Gold and Silver Index, which just really focuses on a few of the big boys. I mean, you, you are invested in the junior exploration space for a reason. I mean, obviously, everybody knows when the bull market starts, everybody runs to Newmont or Barrick. What is your long-term view, then, of these exploration stocks that Quentin Henning's talking about? How do you see these things playing out? I mean, these big guys, you, you're creating wealth, really creating wealth. Newmont is a known quant. You know what Newmont is. You know what Barrick is. Uh, maybe either of you could comment on some of the things that Quentin talks about every week. Sure. I think we've seen sort of a, a safe haven rally since the beginning of the year with the, the war breaking out. And um, this is quite normal to see that, you know, money starting to institutional capital start flowing into most of the big names. And that's that's indeed what we saw. Um, now, I think if we if we agree that we're at the beginning of a bull market for most of the mining companies in which mm-hmm. you can see it in many ways, uh, the, the cyclicality of the fundamentals and the profitability of the companies improving is, is I think, what, what it matters the most. And when we looked at the supply cliff issue happening across the major companies that are going to be uh, needing to purchase other 
assets to replenish their production line, I think, would be uh-huh. uh, one of the biggest cases for owning uh, exploration assets. I should mention another one, uh, which is, is really owning gold and silver in the ground at a time when you're seeing companies getting squeezed uh, by wages and salaries and energy costs in general. Uh, you know, I, I think that owning an exploration asset that is high quality uh, is actually going to have a bigger leverage to the metal price uh, that, that provide even further appreciation uh, in price, obviously, in, in, in the following years if we get this, this bull market going. But, you know, just looking at the miners, the Philadelphia index that you're referring to relative to gold mm-hmm. prices, uh, you know, we're breaking out from, from a major downward trend. I mean, this is, mm-hmm. this is just the beginning in our opinion. So mm-hmm. there's a lot more to go. And when, when things start going, you know, it's a matter of time in our opinion for capital to start flowing into the more, the riskier parts of the market, which is really the, the exploration assets. And I don't, I don't mean risky, but it really is historically undervalued, uh, and, and something that has been unloved. You know, not, not a lot of folks in companies have been, uh, putting much attention into, uh, into what's happening in that part of the industry. You know, you see great intercepts coming out, not being rewarded yeah. by the markets. I mean, it's, it's mm-hmm. just completely inefficient and great mm-hmm. opportunity for a fund like ours to accumulate assets that are high quality and can, can perform very well. Indeed, a great, a great. When you have these inefficiencies, there is opportunities, and that's that's for sure. And I, I have to believe, and I, and I certainly must say, this yield curve control thing, Tavi, that you mentioned. If we start to see that, as the Japanese are doing, and uh, where else are people going to go? Where else are they going to go? I mean, I guess you can, as, as long as people still want to believe in the tooth fairy, I guess stocks can go up as long as there's enough liquidity to allow them to go up. But if they keep tightening, you have to think that, uh, you know, some of these uh, tech stocks are going to have their difficulties. I guess that's just about all the time we have. Any any last thoughts from uh, either of you? Oh, I just say, um, do go check out our, our website, crestcat.net. And we, uh, we've got links to the YouTube videos on there, the Friday activist <clears throat> videos that we do with Quentin Henney. We've got our investor letters up there. I encourage you to to uh, go take a look at those if you want to learn more about Crestcat. And, and if anyone's interested in, in, uh, in any further, uh, Merrick, Merrick Iwahasha, he's our client service representative. His information's on there, too, if you want to learn more about investing. Excellent. Wonderful. And you can learn an awful lot about investing if you just go to the Crestcat Gets Active YouTube uh, every week at 2 o'clock. I guess it's 2 o'clock New York time, about uh, was it about noon your time out That's there? Right. Is that when you try? And yeah, a lot of times I know you're busy trading and can't get to the mic right away, but uh, it's, and I, it's interesting because there's always a lot of people at two o'clock start waiting to hear you come on. So you're uh, very popular and it's very, very, a very good service. I want to thank both of you for spending time with us today and uh, we'll look to keep up with you going forward. Uh, well, that is all the time we have this week. Uh, next week, my guest, Alistair McLeod, is here to talk about his latest essay titled Edging Towards a Gold Standard. Also, Quentin Henning will be with us to talk about SK Mining and Michael Oliver will join me once again to give his latest views on the markets. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Firefox Gold is exploring in Finland in the midst of an exciting new gold rush. Firefox successfully drilled high-grade and visible gold in 2021 and is now active at four prospective projects with plans to drill continuously through the first half of 2022. 
The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, are driving the company to discovery, and the stage is set for Firefox to identify multiple new gold deposits. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX and on the OTCQB at FFOXF. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates.